Welcome to the AI Asia Pacific Institute podcast. The rise of AI presents important legal and ethical challenges for society. In this podcast, we invite leaders from different industries and creators of new AI to debate the big questions. This is the AI Asia Pacific Institute podcast. Today, our guest for the show is Fabiana Barros. Fabiana has been recently awarded her PhD from the University of Melbourne, where she investigated the organizational capacity of centers of research excellence in Australia. During, her, during the past years, she has been working at the LH Martin Institute of the same university, focusing on research and innovation policy and management. Prior to that, she has worked for many years in Europe as a project manager and fundraiser for international scientific projects involving European universities and research centers. She was a trainee at the European Commission in Luxembourg. She has a bachelor's degree in computer science and a master's degree in the field of higher education policy and management. She's also a very good friend. Um, welcome to the show, Fabiana. Hello, Kelly. Very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. Um, so I wanted to have you as part of the show, given your recent experience completing your PhD. I think this is a topic very relevant to uh, our current situation in terms of preparing for the future. Um, and I think we can learn some of the principles uh, from the work that you've completed. So why don't we start with you telling us a little bit more about your, what your research project involves. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so one of my, my main areas of uh, research interest for many years now has been to investigate how the, the production of new knowledge and knowledge-based innovations are, are central and fundamental for, for societies to flourish nowadays. So, in other words, they, um, they are central aspects for maintaining a sustainable socioeconomic growth and uh, as well as in addressing today's global challenges. So we know we are, we are facing a number of global grand challenges as, as they call it, so environmental crisis, political crisis, uh, energy crisis and health issues uh, worldwide. So we have to... So these green challenges, they really threaten our ability to survive in this planet. So, so more specifically, I, I'm, I'm very interested in understanding how different actors uh, in our societies, they can contribute to knowledge generation, to knowledge application, and to knowledge utilization, basically by commercial exploitation. So... And I'm particularly interested as well as uh, in the role of, of government in leading this, this process. So um, when I decided to pursue a PhD in this area, I was, I was very drawn to the very long experience of Australia, where, where I went to do my PhD, uh, where this kind of public and private sectors, they joined together through this government funding schemes for the creation of 
research centers, very large research centers of excellence. And um, it was for me, it was very interesting to see how these centers were created and aimed at tackling national problems, so problems of national significance and uh, addressing national priorities as well uh, by means of conducting scientific research uh, training of uh, the next generation of researchers and, and, and technology, technological development as well. So, so basically, this is the main motivation that led me to do this uh, a PhD in this area. Right. Mm -hmm. And can you give us some examples of, of the research the center conducts and technology innovations in Australia? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, so, so, so Australia was one of the very pioneers in the creation of COE schemes. So the first COEs in Australia were created back in the 1980s and the 1990s. And this was happening at the same time in a few other developed nations like um, Canada, Norway, Australia, and uh, in some places of the United States as well. So, yeah, basically what COEs are in a, in a nutshell, they are organizations created in the framework of science, technology, and innovation policies. So usually created by national governments and in some cases created by uh, other international organizations such as the European Union, which is larger than national governments. So um, basically these funding programs, what they do, they, they fund large and complex problem-oriented research. They fund uh, problems uh, of national significance, like I said before. So they are priority given that they affect some key, air, uh, key sectors in the economy or they address challenges faced by, by the society. Uh, they're also very aimed at promoting capacity building. So they uh, are uh, created to support institutional profile, to create um, research capacity in, in, in fields, uh, in, at universities particularly, but also in public research centers. And uh, they also serve to train a critical mass of researchers into a certain specific field. So they, they are in charge also of training the next generation of researchers. So they have a, um, a list of uh, missions to accomplish and um, they undertake this by carrying out scientific uh, and science and technology and innovation activities. So... Some centers are more uh, oriented towards producing basic or what they also call as basic strategic research, which is basically blue sky research, but with some expectation to lead to practical applications in the future. Uh, other centers are more oriented towards uh, more applied research. So they already have a certain understanding of the scientific field, they have the foundation and they just need to apply into a, developing a new technology or a new prototype. Uh, other centers are a little bit further down the line already involved in technological innovations. And not only what is interesting, the centers are not only focused with uh, producing technological innovations, but also social innovations. 
So they also serve a number of social groups and uh, many times um, social minorities. Like in the case of Australia, there are some centers of excellence focused in promoting the health of uh, Aboriginal Aboriginal communities which live in very isolated areas in Australia. So they are developing programs, technologies and a number of uh, support right. services for these communities. And they, there are a few uh, uh, minority of centers which are uh, focused on education, but they are really a, a minority. They're not, or, uh, they're education oriented only. Right. Mm-hmm. So there is really a variety of work that they can focus yes. on. Mm-hmm. So technology, technology, education, social. Yes. Yes. For the people that, um, I was just going to say, for the people that are not familiar, this is the first time they're hearing about COE. Mm -hmm. Um, Is this something that you have seen happening in other countries or is that something that's particularly advanced in Australia? Yeah, so what happened is because COE had been very, very positive experiences in these uh, developed countries in the past 20 to 30 years. They have been increasingly now being adopted in developing countries as well. So they're being used as uh, a means to to encourage uh, socioeconomic growth in areas of uh, economic priority in other countries as as well, like uh, in, in Brazil, in Eastern Europe or in Asia, there are lots of center of excellence initiatives which uh, borrow from these original experiences of centers of excellence. And there are many international organizations supporting and encouraging the creation of this kind of uh, centers, like the OECD is one of the supporters. So, yeah, I think it's a very promising instrument uh, to be adopted in the context of a developing country. Uh, the only thing is that, uh, and that's what my, my research, I think, can shed some light, is how you do it. Because, of course, you have to take into consideration uh, the context and the culture and uh, the purpose of the creation of these centers in, in developing countries. So this has all to be taken into right. consideration, yeah. Right. And why would you say uh, especially distinguish them from other other possible centers um, being created by other universities, for example. So, from what I understand, they very much um, they very much part of universities, mm-hmm. but they are also an independent center, right? Yeah, right. Um, and they operate sometimes with the support of the government. Yeah, exactly. So, for instance, Australian centers of excellence uh, they typically involve. Uh, universities, and um, in my study, I included centers of excellence created under the framework of two major national policies. So one is the ARC, Center of Excellence Funding Program. So the ARC is the Australian Research Council, and uh, they are the main funding agency for research in Australia. So they, they require universities to participate and not only to participate in every center of excellence, but they have to be the lead organization in all these centers of excellence. 
but they also have to involve uh, business, organizational organizations, industries, uh, non-governmental organizations, NGOs, and um, many times they involve uh, government representatives as well. Yeah. So. Right. So they take a more practical. Um, practical way of operating in a yes, way. Yes, exactly. So because they're so problem-focused and problem-driven, they have to uh, they have to involve all the actors that are uh, in some way associated to that problem, in either because they are facing the problem or because they can contribute. So the nature of problems uh, addressed by COE are usually so large and complex that no organization would have the necessary capacity to address the problem in isolation, even though if you give uh, millions of dollars to them in the form of budget to, f to fund a project, no organization would be able to tackle them in isolation. So, yeah, centers of excellence are very, uh, very based in the idea of collaboration. So I would say it's the main right. characteristics. So they are interinstitutional necessarily. They are cross-sector. So they involve organizations from all sectors of society, public, private, and non-governmental civil society organizations. And they are also cross-disciplinary. So they, they, they go across disciplinary borders to... To, to get knowledge from wherever is necessary to address that problem. So, yeah, I think these would be the three main characteristics. And um, right. yeah, and so what another, another key aspect is because, for example, the Centers of Excellence funded by the Australian Research Council, um, if you compare them to others, other forms of funding, like project-based funding, Centers of Excellence are much longer term, so they last from usually from seven to ten years. So they are they are fixed term, but they are much longer term than typical project funding. And they also yeah, they see. also rely on much larger budget. So usually every center of excellence uh, have between one to three million dollars per year of, of budget. So they're very large centers. Right, so they could be going for yes. years, essentially, if they still haven't finalized their yeah, research. Most, most centers I visited, uh, they last between seven to ten years, and they had, if they were quite effective and successful in their research programs, they were even allowed to bid for a term renewal, so they they could get an, an extra seven to ten years approved in addition to their initial period mm -hmm. oh, okay i see what i was um what i was um very interested in, um in learning more about is um it's interesting how these the centers came from putting together the perspective of different disciplines such as science technology and innovation um which looking into the future uh, we can say that the alliance among these areas will be crucial to ensure a future where humans can thrive along with technology. So what principles do you think that we can take from the centers uh, to ensure that this is the future that we are creating? Mm -hmm. Well, there is a number of things I think I could say. 
about this sentence, but um, I guess there are a few principles that characterize centers of excellence, and they are, I think they could be uh, divided in two main components here. Um, so let's start at the policy level. Um, so because centers of excellence, they emerged in the framework of science, technology, and innovation policy, they, they're based on this idea that knowledge generation and knowledge application are fundamental for sustainable growth and for facing uh, global challenges. So um, for this reason, they require uh, countries and societies to, to act in a kind of a concerted way. So everybody has to be committed and contribute to achieving this uh, greater uh, good um, good purpose, you know, good for the, the public the public good, what they call it. So first, there is this uh, there is also this notion of the active role of governments in starting and leading this public dialogue, and uh, not only in identifying who are these key stakeholders, who are the people that are going to be the producers of knowledge, but also who are going to benefit from the produ production of this knowledge. And to make them talk together and work together and identify what are the key problems and what are the key priorities that should be funded and should be supported in the years to come. So I think this is, this is a very uh, important uh, idea that involves centers of excellence, is this shared commitment to a greater purpose from all sectors of society. So here comes uh, behind this idea and behind this philosophy comes the idea of the knowledge triangle. So the knowledge triangle is something that's very uh, widely known in the literature, but it's basically how uh, the interaction between government, universities and the private sector are very important in yeah, in um, in identifying and devising these next steps for for the production uh, and uh, application of new knowledge and technology. Yeah. Mm. So mm. this is yeah this is the at the, at the policy yeah. level, and um, I could I could tell you more about the organizational level. So what what we can learn from centers of excellence and what I investigated in my study is about the organizational capacity that is required to create each of the centers. And what was very interesting to see is that uh, centers of excellence are, have a very flat organizational structure. So there is very little reporting lines, very little um, emphasis on hierarchy. So the centers are usually distributed uh, usually distributed geographically. So they, they, there is a central node and then there is a network of nodes spread around the country. And uh, each of these nodes have a lot of autonomy. And um, within each of these nodes, people also, individuals have a lot of autonomy. So I believe this gives centers of excellence a great deal of, uh, of flexibility and make them really fit for purpose to be very uh, fast and uh, productive organizations, yeah. They can, they can respond very mm. quickly to, to the issues they're facing, you know, so it's a very interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, because if there is more equality, there is also more collaboration, yeah, exactly. right? And especially because the centers, as I said before, they involve uh, people f from very different uh, organizational backgrounds and cultural backgrounds as well. Because if you put together to work a scientist from a public university working with engineers from a big corporation, of course they have they are driven by very different. Uh, factors. So these centers, they really found a way to make these people collaborate together to pursue their own individual interests, but also contribute to the greater good. So I think there's a lot of to be learned uh, from this from this type of centers. Um, I believe that the main way they, they do this is by creating a very strong center culture which is particular to the, this new center, and it's not necessarily the culture of any individual partner organization participating in the country, in the, in the, in the center of excellence, in the consortium. So uh, this is actually one of my main findings is how leadership and management within the centers, the, one of their main roles is not only to be role models in terms of leadership and management and research leadership, but also in actively building a research culture or innovation culture within the centers. So they are actually creating the conditions that facilitate the type of the type of performance they are expecting from from their members. So this is a, a very interesting. Right. So the center profile, I would say, and the, the center identity is to a large extent defined by three main uh, aspects. So first aspect is the nature of the problem tackled by the center. Because centers are so diverse and variety, there are centers that are focused on very uh, basic blue sky, uh, the so-called blue sky uh, research problems, which are state of the art, very poorly uh, understood uh, type of problems. Uh, they're very large, complex, but they're also very dynamic and uh, so-called wicked problems, very hard to define. So there are a lot of uncertainty involved in this type of research uh, uh, problems. So in this type of centers, they are very different from others because they require a lot of collaboration and interdisciplinarity, but also... Um, they have this uh, mission to understand and to define the problem and to map the next steps and, and resources that are going to be needed to build the scientific foundation of uh, this field of research. So if you build a spectrum of centers, blue sky would be on one end of the spectrum, then moving on to more centers that the nature of the problem in these centers are more strategic. So they already have a good understanding of the field and they are just trying to find how they can apply that, that knowledge, that scientific discoveries. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there will be centers where the nature of the problem will be very user-driven. Then there are centers who are clearly serving a very specific type of client, I would call. So centers that work for, for example, in Australia, the 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 mineral and iron ore industry in Australia. So 
they are serving a very specific kind of uh, industry or clients and they are addressing their specific needs to be more productive or to have a competitive edge facing other international competitors, for example, in the case of uh, Australia. So the nature of the problem is very illustrative in defining the identity of a center of excellence, I would say, and in defining the, the type of culture that is built to facilitate uh, the operation of the center. So as you can imagine, behind this nature of the problem, then there is the purpose behind the, the center creation. So I, I, I basically I created a few types of archetypes of centers, but uh, some centers are, as I said, are created to create a critical mass, create a network, create a community, a research community in the country to identify the nature of that problem and how we can create a framework to address that scientific problem or to address that grand challenge. And on the other hand, the purpose of the creation of a center may well be just to just not <laughs> to develop a, a new technology. Like uh, in Australia, they are one of the countries in the forefront of the cre um, development of the quantum computing technology, which they say is going to be the technology of the future if they if this technology wins the, the race. Yes. So, yeah, they're very centered around, yes, creating a new technology and dominating the global market and putting their their uh, their standards as uh, the main one. So if you see, it's a very different type of center. Yeah. Mm, that's very interesting, I think, um, especially because when we see the problems that we are having regarding technology, the advancement of artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. for example, um, the need to put people from different disciplines together in the same room uh, to collaborate and have this conversation is yeah. essential. Um, so the way the center is working and, and developing specifically the quantum mm -hmm. technology um, is definitely something that I think um, other, other um agencies and companies can probably learn from yeah, this. Definitely. Um, what I see in this type of centers, what, what I, I could see through my study is that um, this, this center is the, the success of the centers depends basically upon three main factors, which are fit for purpose, uh, leadership and management. So leaders and managers that have a very, clear idea of the nature of the problem tackled by the center and a very clear idea of who is engaged in the, in the partnership, what are the backgrounds, what are the drivers, and how they can uh, harness their expertise and their knowledge uh, to attain the objectives of the center in the long term, but also contribute to their own individual interests, of course, because there is always very um, substantial spillover effects in the centers. So leadership and management, they have a very important um, role to play because many of the centers are led either by university-based scientists and researchers or uh, by uh, engineers or leaders from the pri private sector. Uh, it's very common to achieve a situation where you either have an academic in charge or 
an engineer in charge and then these people may be very good at the, what they do. They have be, they may have uh, uh, international stars in their fields, but then having the necessary leadership and management skills to lead these very large partnerships is very, uh, very tricky sometimes. So I was very glad to have the chance to interview some people that are really outstanding according even to their own peers in, in leadership and management of research, which is a very specific uh, area, and uh, to see how they, they think, how important it is to have the soft skills, you know, to lead these large partnerships of people and to build, to create a culture, because sometimes we think a culture just emerges organically and naturally in organizations. And it was very clear to see that's not the case. They were working every day, basically giving most of their uh, time and effort to con- to build a culture, to initiate a culture. Yeah. And if we're talking about the future, probably the, the soft skills, like you're mentioning, it's the key, the key oh, skill for the future. Certainly. Right, so being able to um, encourage people to develop yeah. that is definitely that was a very because you know the typical stereotype of the the scientist that is very isolated, working in their problem, like uh, blinked by by their scientific mm-hmm. interest, who is a, an amazing scientist, but then doesn't quite know how to lead her, a research group, how to interact with people how to energize people, how to nurture uh, other people, especially early career researchers like PhD students who are going to be the next researchers in the field. So you have to nurture this new generation as well. So this is all part of what I call this building uh, a culture of the center. And uh, I've seen that recruitment was a major uh, mechanism in building that center of excellence culture. So Uh, leaders were not only interested, of course, in, in hiring the best and the brightest in their fields, but they were also interested in hiring people that were fit for the culture of the center. They were very... Yeah, yeah they can work together. And they could work towards, you know, nurturing this um, this community was very important in this kind of centers because they were, mm. most of them were very interested in leaving a legacy for the future, in leaving a legacy for their disciplinary fields. For example, I've been visiting uh, centers in, in Sydney and in Tasmania in the area of climate change and climate system science, and I was amazed by it, the type of work they were doing there and uh, the type of leadership that they had And um, they were so good in what they do that they could literally attract any people, any researcher anywhere in the world because who wouldn't want to have the type of mm. the, the scale of resources and money and equipment and live in Sydney, you know, by the beach. So they were very well positioned. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, exactly. So, yeah which a lot of the scientists struggle with exactly. in finding, right? Yeah. The right support to develop. So this is another field. thing that makes the idea of, of funding and uh, investing a lot of uh, money in a center of excellence is creating this scale where researchers have the ability to bargain. You know, they have the ability to attract the best international stars in their fields because they... You know, they have the scale to, to negotiate in international scientific networks. So 
uh, that's not possible when you are a single yeah. research group within a university. You know, then you are very fragmented in your in your power. So, these centers gave uh, researchers mm. uh, have this scale to attract people and to commit resources because the funds come not only from the national government but every single organization that takes part in the consortium they have to match the public funds so 50% of the budget uh, if the government uh, invests 2 million so the partners all together they have to match this 2 million either in form of uh, staff contributions or in cash contributions so yeah it's a very substantial amount of funds invested yeah, mm-hmm. very attractive to a lot very. of people, I can imagine. <laughs> Just going back to the principles mm-hmm. that you were talking about, um, at some point uh, you mentioned, or I think I, I must have read in your, um, doing your work, uh, the principle of transparency. Um, I'm interested in, 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 in hearing what you have to say about that because um, this is also one of the principles that have been used across um, different countries, but it's specifically um, the Singapore government around artificial intelligence created a framework um, in the beginning of this year in January. And one of the principles that they're focusing Mm -hmm. on is transparency. So going back to some of the ideas that you share about collaboration, for example, between different areas, uh, very much the development of artificial intelligence should involve um, people collaborating mm-hmm. in different disciplines. So not just the software, but putting together uh, people with the legal background, uh, the big corporations, big tech companies um, to have these conversations. So I'm interested to le- learning more about what transparency means for the COE and maybe what we could learn from this to that governments could apply across different needs, mm-hmm. such as technology at the yeah, moment. Sure. So I think uh, this 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 concept, these principles are very intertwined in the in the whole creation of the COE uh, idea and uh, of any individual COE organization as well. So I think transparency is one of the main principles for good governance of COE, either at the policy level or the institutional level. And that's because transparency is so uh, interconnected with the idea of uh, trust and uh, the idea of clarity of uh, shared purpose in these partnerships. So as we've been talking now, you see, you see that how how big these consortiums are. They're long-term. They, they're, they're, there's a lot of stake, you know, a lot of money, a lot of time and commitment from from people that usually uh, organizations that are even competitors in the market, and still they get together to work to to do research and to to share their knowledge, which is very uh, somehow threatening for these organizations sometimes to share, you know, their secrets and their competitive advantage with each other, and yet they are committed to work together and to learn from each other and to exchange uh, knowledge and personnel and good practices and everything. So the idea of transparency is key here. I guess uh, every time a consortium is set together, there's a lot of uh, paperwork, but it's very important to set 
uh, very clear what are the conditions for these organizations taking part in the consortium. So uh, transparency starts even before the creation of a center of excellence because every one of the centers to be funded by the government, you have to submit uh, a project proposal to the funding organization and there you have to lay down all um, what every single uh, partner organization, what's their role in the consortium, what they're going to bring to the consortium, what they're going to contribute, and uh, why they're there. It's, they have to be a very good justification of uh, why they're participating. And uh, so transparency is key, even at the moment where these consortiums are going to be built. Uh, so just uh, as a curiosity, uh, many universities, they... They have funds because these project proposals are so long and complex. Sometimes it takes one to two years for research leaders to put together a proposal just to submit to the funding organization and to, to try to get the funding. So they, they are funded by their own organization, their own universities. To, it's a full-time job to put together a proposal like this. And... Um, they have to be very transparent in terms of conditions for participation, and especially when there is technological uh, development involved. So, uh, you know, the, a lot of legal aspects involved and uh, intellectual property rights involved as well. So this is one aspect of transparency. Uh, as I said, trust is very... Um, there is a lot of paperwork, yeah, but there's a lot of trust. Right. Usually these organizations, uh, they have been working together in other smaller projects before that. So they, they know each other already. They have a track record. And this is one of the uh, uh, aspects that count positively for them to get the funding approved. So they have a track record in terms of collaboration in the past. So, yeah, they, they trust each other. They know each other. It's not just uh, they never work together. People, people know each other. And um, but if you go deeper, once this center is approved and uh, <clears throat> the research program is very well defined, uh, I could see that the whole governance uh, model established in each of these centers they have transparency at, as the foremost principle because they they have to be transparent in terms of information that all partners have to have access to information or at least have some kind of um, division of which partners have access to which kind of information. Maybe it's not relevant to other partners, maybe it's sensitive information, but this kind of uh, rules of the game are all set beforehand. So transparency as well in terms of the research strategy, as you can imagine, this is very important as, we, as to which, which pathways to follow in terms of the research program that's going to be uh, conducted and uh, as well as because these budgets as I said the centers are very decentralized so the budget has to be distributed to every node of the partnership so there is this process of internal funding allocation where of course the work has to be distributed and the funding follows the work so and then there is the performance tracking and performance management as well so there is yeah, a lot of, uh, in terms of uh, right. accountability and uh, uh, transparency in terms of uh, the membership. Mm -hmm. uh, uh. 
This is interesting. Um, I think, um, yeah, the idea of trust and being able to share information mm -hmm. behind yeah. transparency, right? Um, this is something that's very hard to build. Um, but I also think that it has never been uh, so important to be able to create this environment, especially now that we have technology advancing so quickly. Um, you know, we're in the age of the fourth industrial revolution. And more than ever, I think that um, different governments and different industries need to feel comfortable in collaborating and sharing information for a bigger purpose. Um, so I wonder how we can create this sort of environment um, in a similar way of trust so that people are not so worried about sharing, you know, what they're working on and, and how, how to come up with better mm -hmm. and safer solutions. Um, the other, we are probably mm -hmm. running out of time soon, but um, before we finish, I wanted to um, just ask you a little bit more about how the center, how do you think the center is preparing for the future? Um, in practice, I know you've visited a few different ones and uh, what can you see that is happening there that could be different from other mm -hmm. sectors? Uh, well, I think uh, uh, what really set apart the most, uh, I, I, I try to avoid using successful in my PhD, as you can imagine, but I think uh, the most successful centers for, let's say, the low, uh, lower performing ones are this very uh, clear, what we've been talking about until now, this very clear shared idea of a shared purpose of the greater good that unites these uh, different and very diversified actors in society to not only contribute, but they see that in the long term, they are going to have so many different types of returns, financial and other types of research, uh, returns uh, for their own organizations that they, they know it's uh, very worth it. So I think uh, centers of excellence that they've been around for quite some time now, but we're seeing uh, a move, a greater move in, in, in Europe, for example, to even larger initiatives that they are based in the same idea of centers of excellence If you see in, in Europe now, they're, they're igniting this new idea of mission-oriented research and innovation. And this is an idea that's being put forward by a professor called uh, Mariana Matsukato. And uh, she's been um, championing this idea together with the European Union to, 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 to help uh, gather not only public interest and uh, public support in the form, in the form of taxpayers' funding, of course, but also the commitment of uh, organizations from all sectors towards uh, producing big science to meet big goals. So this is a, a, an idea that's not new, definitely not new. We've seen this uh, being uh, used very successfully in the 60s. I don't know if you remember the, the mission, the Apollo mission, so the mission to put a man on the moon. So And the whole revolution, right. technological revolution that this mission brought along. So the whole uh, development in terms of uh, food production, medicines, electronics, uh, materials, uh, computation, everything to, to get this critical mass to put a man on the moon and uh, to develop all this. Yeah. 
It's exactly. not something that could be achieved um, exactly. in isolation. So the idea of mission-oriented research and innovation is very much based on this concept. So how to direct innovation, not to accomplish, not to, uh, uh, accomplish very fuzzy uh, scientific goals that normal people don't understand, but to solve very pressing global challenges and uh, at the same time to stimulate uh, growth, uh, socioeconomic activity, and to direct this uh, scientific activity to meeting this global challenge. So this is uh, interesting because they make use of very concrete, very measurable, achievable goals, which people can relate to uh, in society and they can support it as well. And um, it, it leads to a number of uh, cross-disciplinary and cross-sector uh, cross uh, interactions, which are very beneficial to the system. So if you, if you think about the, the 17 uh, sustainable development goals, so the idea, the whole idea of the European Commission is to align the sustainable, uh, 17 sustainable development goals. For example, there is one of uh, <clears throat> the goals which relates to sustainable oceans. So they are thinking of making it even more specific and concrete and having a mission of uh, achieving a plastic-free ocean, which is a very global challenge nowadays. So they're going to put together all their research and innovation capacity to contribute to achieving this, this, this goal. And in the same time, creating whole new industries and uh, markets. So companies are definitely interested in being the first to be there, you know, participating in this movement and uh, taking advantage of being the first ones that are able to exploit these markets. So it's, as you see, it's a very, yeah, it's a win-win situation yeah. for everybody. And uh, I think um, this is one of the very promising uh, alternatives that uh, governments are looking. And I think it relates to the idea of how new technologies like artificial intelligence can be used and can be further developed and supported to achieve greater uh, goals in society and in the, mean, in the meantime also generate this more democratic dialogue you know that people can relate to and, and support not only see the negative sides and the threatening sides yeah. of, of new technologies but also see how they can clearly contribute to the greater good yeah and i think that is a lot to learn uh, from the from some of these things you shared with us, there's a lot to be learned from from these centers, um, especially around um, governments and companies looking to you know developing artificial intelligence and other emerging technologies. I think these um, these principles will be key: um, transparency, corporate mm -hmm. collaboration, trust. Um, Well, thank you so much for You're taking welcome. the time, Fabiana. Um, this has been very helpful and I'm sure um, we will have to have more conversations like this um, because I think um, that we do need to follow the example of what other people are doing successfully and trying to apply these same principles to the technology area.
Um, so thank you. Great. It's been great it's to have you on the to show. Talk to you today, and thank you very much, Kelly. Just before you go, uh, people are looking to reach out to you. What's the best contact? So, yeah, I can give you maybe my email. So my my email is f b b a r o s at gmail.com. So f barros f b barros at gmail.com. Um, I'm also you can you can find me in on LinkedIn as well, Fabiana Barros de Barros. And I'm also involved now in the creation of a new organization, but this we can talk about in another time maybe. But it's called Future Work Studio and uh, it's based here in New Zealand. So if you want to look for it online, you can, you can find it easily. Futureworkstudio.com Great. So yeah, future... Future of work is very much looking towards the future as well. Um, and I'm sure you, you will be applying a lot, a lot that you learn from the centers into your work there. Um, I can mm -hmm. definitely yeah, see the definitely. correlation. Thank you All very right. much. Thank you so much.